Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and don't forget to follow the Twitter page and Instagram page at Daytime Sports for breaking news and podcast updates. Now, in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL Draft and some major news out of the NFL. We'll be talking about the NBA and what's going down there. We'll briefly touch on the MLB and what's happening in baseball, and then we will have our best for last. Now remember, don't forget to follow the Twitter page and Instagram at JTime Sports, along with subscribing, telling your friends about the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and iTunes. Now I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Alrighty, and welcome into the show. Wow is pretty much all I can say at the moment. Um, what a first night of the NFL draft. Uh, the NFL delivers again. I mean, the NFL has their games as the number one program on a lot of stations. Most all any station the NFL is on, they're number one. They're number one on CBS, they're number one on NBC, the number one on ESPN, the number one on ABC, they're number one on Fox, they're number one um, anywhere they're on. I'm pretty sure they're going to be the number one streamed Amazon Prime whenever they uh, get their Amazon Prime situation uh, and their deal done with Amazon, with the NFL. And last night, the product was on ESPN. And I'm sure you could add up all the regular season NBA games put together and it doesn't reach the first round of the NFL draft. It was exciting. Uh, I watched every draft pick start to finish. Uh, first time I've done that in a while, in a perfect honesty, uh, where I intently watch. You know, I keep my eye on it kind of thing. Oh, picks in, run to my TV or whatever. But that was the first time I pretty much had it on the station watching that. I wasn't really flipping back and forth. I'm a Pelicans fan. We played last night against. OKC, I may have seen six dribbles. Um, the NFL draft was the thing that had me on my full attention. Uh, I'm a Patriots fan as well. So last night I was I had dreams of Justin Fields in my head and I ended up with Mac Jones, um, which my entire mock draft went to hell at pick three. So um, in terms of my record from last year, being I was like 25 or 32 on positions, I was 18 or something like that, a 32 perfect player. And then anytime, any, then the, the difference of seven was they picked, let's say, an offensive lineman, but it was a different offensive lineman than I thought. So for like the Jets, I had the Jets picking, I want to say Jedrick Willis, and they ended up going with Makai Becton. And I had Cleveland picking Makai Becton, but because Makai Becton's already gone, end up with Jedrick, uh, end up with Jedrick Wills. Yes. Um, stuff like that. So this year, my mock draft was, well, not as not as accurate. And it went, like I said, to hell in a handbasket at pick three. Uh, with the San Francisco 49ers going with Trey Lance. He has been linked to them over the past maybe week. Um, it was Mac Jones pretty much since they moved up. I mean, to be honest, it was probably Mac Jones before they moved up at 12. And the 49ers ran to the front of the line to three. Well, the third place on the line for three because they were trying to acquire Mac Jones. That's pretty much been the standing consensus. And Kyle Shanahan basically admitted as much um, when they when he said that they came up for a specific person. And then through their evaluation, they realized they could be comfortable with five people at three, which I think was more of a smoke screen than anything, but it might've been a bit of truth because we started hearing Trey Lance uh, about a week ago. Uh, I thought it was a smoke screen. I thought it was, oh, we're gonna say Lance, 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 pick Mac. So if Lance turns out to be really good, we can say, hey, we wanted somebody to come right in and play because of Jimmy Garoppolo's injury concerns. Most people think that Lance needs a year to sit and watch, a la Patrick Mahomes, uh, to try and get some of those bad habits out. The talent's there, just like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, the arm talent's undeniable, the mobility, he can move, he's a big, strong kid, but he hasn't played in 18 months. He was a low recruit out of high school, 
North Dakota State doesn't run the world's most complex offense, although he does. He did at, rather at North Dakota State set his own protections. He was responsible for making sure he didn't get smacked. So that's a big responsibility that mentally a few of the scouts are saying that he is further along mentally than the other players because of the responsibility that was placed on him at North Dakota State. It's not like the, the sandwich board offense where you look to the sideline and the coach basically tells you where to throw the ball um, or where you're so much more talented than everybody else at your level, such as Bama most of the time, where your number one receiver is going to be open, where you don't have to worry about trying to make a play. You don't have to worry about trying to throw this perfect read, this perfect lob, because your number one receiver is going to be open, which is a world that most don't live in ever, especially in the NFL. You don't live in that world. Um, so Lance will be there at, uh, at San Francisco now. Uh, the 49ers have made no bones about they want Garoppolo on the roster. Shanahan has said it last night. He'd be very disappointed if Garoppolo wasn't on the roster. Because, again, he probably agrees with most of the scouts that Lance is not ready today. That it's going to take him a couple of days to get there, uh, get, get Lance, rather, his act together than anything. Uh, to make sure he's ready with... Uh, the San Francisco 49ers offense, which is one of the more complicated ones in the league to pick up. So Lance will need a year, and then he'll be ready to roll. In my opinion, in San Francisco, they have their guy for the next decade plus. So kudos to the 49ers organization, uh, Shanahan, Lynch, whoever made the pick. Uh, kudos to you guys, which Shanahan specifically. Uh, the top five quarterbacks. Went off the board relatively early, not as early as people predicted. Many was, I mean, some were saying five in the top seven due to trades. Other were saying five in the top ten due to naturalness. I mean, it, I mean, you could have placed all five of them naturally in the in the top ten pretty easily, honestly. But the quarterbacks ended up going all five in the top fifteen, um, with Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson going one and two as expected. And then you have the big switch with Trey Lance at three, which you've been hearing, like I said, rumbling over the past week or so. Um, and then the fall started. It, it, it left two, and, and we pretty much knew this was going to happen, where it was going to be three at the top, and then it's going to be a few picks, maybe anywhere from four picks to seven or eight picks after three, where the guys, the two, whoever were two was left, uh, was going to start falling. And so he and so the two that started falling was Mac Jones and Justin Fields. And so, of course, pick five goes by by with Jamar Chase going to Cincinnati. Don't necessarily agree with that pick, but hey, Burrow was pushing for Jamar Chase. He got his wish. And there's some pretty good offensive linemen left, actually, um, in the second round. You've got Wyatt Davis from Ohio State. Uh, you got a couple other good guys on the offensive line. Oh, the Oklahoma State tackle. I can't think of his name right now, but he is available as well. There's one other guy I had possibly going in the first round uh, that's a good offensive lineman. So they can get that in the second round. You can't find Jamar Chase in the second round. I guarantee you that. So, hey, Bengals do that. Uh, pick six goes by with Miami grabbing uh, Devontae, no, Jalen Waddle. Uh so that happens. Jalen Wilder goes six, seven uh, in the draft, goes by, and that becomes Panay Soul. Eight in the draft, and this is where it starts to get interesting. So at pick eight, that was the pick I had the Patriots going get Justin Fields at. I was okay, this is perfect. It's pick eight, it's out of conference. Carolina would slide down, still be able to get one of the good corners or get one of the good offensive linemen. Because again, there's the Christian Derrishaws of the world, the Elijah Vera Tuckers were on the board still at this point. Hell, at this point, even Rashawn Slater's on the board. So I'm thinking, okay, they're offensive linemen. I left their left tackle and a corner away. I was like, well, worst coming to worst, end up with Greg Newsom. Not a bad player. It'd be a little bit overdraft at 15, but hey, you probably won't end up with Sertan and Horn. So just grab Greg Newsom and you'll be pretty fine at the position. Uh, Caleb Fair without a back injury is probably the pick at eight. But, hey, grab Greg Newsom and you're fine. Um, or ask for Stephon Gilmore back in the trade. 
But either way, you know, you're you're in a position if you're Carolina where you can make a move. You can you can make something happen. And especially with New England or Washington or Chicago. And so Carolina takes JC Horn at eight, which Horn was the fast riser. Uh, before the draft, he was I mean, I had him saw people mocking him in the early twenties, uh, when this process really first started. And then it became low teens and then it became oh he might go 10 11 and last night he went eight so he was he was the fast riser up the board was jc horn patrick sertain went the very next pick to denver who i didn't think was a trade candidate because they were still kind of connected to quarterbacks so i didn't think that was a good idea for anybody to try and trade with them because they might have held your feet to the fire and asked for a lot in a return due to the fact of they weren't really trying to trade um, or rather they were connected to quarterback still. So in order for them to move off a quarterback, basically, that you were going to have to give up a lot. So I didn't think Denver was a good candidate. They ended up taking uh, Patrick Sertan, who they would not have gotten at 15, who they would not have gotten at maybe even 12. Uh, they take Patrick Sertan because Dallas probably doesn't move out of 10 and takes Sertan at 10. Um, and then Dallas, like I said, flips with Philly, go from 10 to 12. Uh, to let Philly take Michael Parsons. And so I'm thinking, okay, when Philly moves, I got a little nervous. I'm like, again, the Patriots fan, I'm thinking Justin Fields, Justin Fields, Justin Fields. So when Philly moves up to 10, I got a little nervous because, okay, it would make no football sense to do that, but it would make Philadelphia sense to do that. Again, it wouldn't be the right decision. You already have Jalen Hurts, and you've already burned one quarterback to the ground in Carson Wentz by drafting Jalen Hurts last year. So, turnabout's fair play. And drafting another quarterback wouldn't have been a bright idea. But, hey, they go get Devontae Smith to try and make Jalen Hurts work. Um, created a reunion, which ended up being the third of the four reunions we had last night of old college teammates on the back on the same team. And, you know, so pick... So I'm like, okay, pick 10, pick 11. I started hearing rumblings. They're trying to trade, they're trying to trade, they're trying to trade. I'm thinking, okay, here's here's the Patriots chance to go up, make sure they get Justin Fields. They don't make any mistakes. They go get Fields. They end all the speculation and all that now. And it turns out to be the Bears. The Chicago Bears trade up from 19 all the way to number 11. Um, for the price tag of a one, or they swap ones, which is standard. Basically, they have a fourth and a fifth round pick. Not even in the same year. And they moved up eight draft slots. And they draft Justin Fields. And so the Bears, after all the hoopla of, oh my God, they're going to play with Andy Dalton. Oh my God, they are going to, you know, stuff is going to be all over the place. They're not, they can't possibly do anything. It's going to be a terrible situation all the way around for anyone to be involved. Oh my God, the Bears, the Bears, the Bears, the Bears, the Bears. And then, like I said, they make the move and they go get Justin Fields. So that leaves one quarterback and a lot of teams behind that one team to go make a move. And so the Chicago Bears, like I said, take fields. And so they left Mac Jones. Mac Jones, the last one in the green rooms, because uh, they had the cool setup where each family had their own pod to try and socially distance everybody out. Uh, like I said, each team kind of had their own pod. Um, and with this pod, you know, you had your family in there, and that was how you you did everything. And so he was the last one left in his pod. And he ends up, uh, the ESPN did a really good job last night of not spoiling the picks. Because usually they'll show the guy on the phone uh, before the pick happens. And then you're like, oh, okay, that's the pick. You know, and so this is the first year that they didn't do a good job. Except on this pick. When pick 14 was in, he was on the phone. And he was smiling and nodding. And then, you know, yeah, I kind of put two and two together. And then when the pick 14 wasn't Mac Jones, it was obvious Bill Belichick could just call and told him, I'm going to pick you. And Mac Jones on the Patriots. 
look, I'm not the biggest Mike Jones supporter. I've been very vocal um, on here. Uh, not so much on Twitter and Instagram. I try and keep personal opinions off that. Uh, but on here uh, with friends, uh, talking to other people that know a lot of football, I've been very vocal in my criticism of Mac Jones. Or not really my criticism, but my non super, super, super gratitude in terms of how the kind of player I think he's going to be. I was very, very not committal to him. I thought San Francisco was making a mistake picking him at three. Um, ultimately, I still believe that Lawrence will probably be the best player in the draft in terms of quarterback, and then probably Fields, then Lance, then um, Wilson, then Mack, in perfect honesty. Although Mack will look better than Wilson because Wilson would have the Jets and Mack will have the Patriots. So, super advantage to Mack. Um, but I still don't like his mobility. Like I said, he, he looked awkward even walking up to the draft podium. He he was walking too fast. He was doing too much body movement. He looked like he was stiff. It was it was a lot going on in that walk up to the podium. Um, he's incredibly unathletic. I remember the championship game against Clemson. He I'm sorry, Ohio State. He almost hurt himself sliding. Like, it, it was some awkward slide thing that he did. And I almost hurt himself sliding. That was, well, bad. Um, he's He's got the knock. He should have the knocks Justin Fields has. He threw most times his number one receiver. Guess what? In the NFL, Devontae Smith is not going to be 20 yards clear of everybody every single play. You can't throw 10 bubble screens, 8 bubble screens a game, 3 of them go for touchdowns. Like, it's not how the NFL works. And so I'm concerned in terms of did Belichick make a Brady pick? Because, uh, and if you think about it, Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, and I'll talk to him a little later, but he was linked to Mac Jones as well because of his past. Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, etc. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy G. Belichick's linked because of his past. Tom Brady, Jimmy G. Um, to Mac Jones, and now he's drafted him. Now, does this mean Mac Jones is the quarterback of the future? No. Bill Belichick just said that Cam's our quarterback. When when Mac and and um, Mac Jones and Jared Stidham are ready to compete with Cam, then that will come. But Cam's the quarterback right now, so it's Cam's job to lose. Which is an interesting strategy from Belichick to be so openly that Cam's the quarterback, even after picking Mac Jones in the first round, he's very open that Cam's the quarterback. So if Cam comes out early in the season, plays well to pass a three and one, we may not see Mac Jones this year. And it's going to be a very interesting conversation in the offseason. What if Cam has a great year? You know, I mean, none of the other rookies are going to a situation where if the guy in front of them has a great year, do they not play? Trevor Lawrence is a starter in Jacksonville. Does now. He's been a starter in Jacksonville for months. Like I said, according to uh, the reports last night, they have been installing the offense with Trevor Lawrence since February. He's been he's been the number he's been the Jacksonville Jaguar for months. Um Zach Wilson's gonna be a starter in Jacksonville. Not in Jacksonville, with the Jets. He was a starter with the Jets for the past six weeks. They may not have been installing with him. They may not have been doing other things like that with him the way Jacksonville's been doing with Trevor Lawrence. But he's been the starting quarterback for the New York Jets for the past six weeks. Um, Trey Lance will not start day one for the 49ers, but Garoppolo's on the clock. So whether that's physical or contractually, he's going to be out. Of, he's going to be gone for San Francisco by the end of the season. So Trey Lance will be playing. My opinion, Trey Lance will be on the field by October uh, as the quarterback of the 49ers. You look at Justin Fields, I don't see Andy Dalton beating him out in camp, especially because Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace need to save their jobs. So I, I think that Justin Fields will be on the field day one and Mac Jones. So Belichick's, like I said, open with it. Cam's the quarterback. And another thing that I was looking at uh, through the draft and it hit me late last night kind of, the thought kind of the thought kind of started and then it progressed through the morning Mac Jones to the Patriots shouldn't have been a surprise now it was one of those things where you know media outlets start saying Justin Fields 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 Lance Fields Lance Fields 
sort of thing because it's similar to Cam Newton, their mobility, how many, many people thought that Kyle Shanahan was going to pick Mac Jones. Um, it was plenty of rumors and connections with Kyle Shanahan and Mac Jones. And that's why I started to talk about Kyle Shanahan a little later. Um, it really wasn't until media and fan pressure came out that the Trey Lance rumor started. But let's think about Bill Belichick. He was linked to Mac Jones as well. And then who was his second option? You started hearing Justin Fields. And then, a few days before the draft, you started hearing, hey, Belichick really likes Trey Lance. He really likes Trey Lance. He, you know, he's a huge fan of Trey Lance. And what I've started to notice is that Bill Belichick and Kyle Shanahan tend to move together or around the same thought process. And it's, they're from two different sides of the ball. Belichick's obviously the greatest defensive coach ever. Kyle Shanahan is the best young offensive coach in the league. I used to think it was Sean McVay. He's beaten Sean McVay four times in a row. And two of those times, he didn't have a starting quarterback. So I would say Kyle Shanahan would be the best uh, player, would be the best young offensive coach, rather. Uh, Bill Belichick being the best defensive coach ever. Uh, I would say the best head coach ever, but definitely the best defensive coach ever. And they tend to move at the same time. Uh, They both fell in love with Jimmy Garoppolo. Belichick was willing to move Tom Brady, give him the Kyle Shanahan, because he wanted to go with Jimmy Garoppolo. Robert Kraft extended the bud, you know the rest of the history. Well, Bill Belichick liked Tom Brady. Kyle Shanahan loved Brady. Um, their second similarity is Bill Belichick fell head over heels for Jimmy Garoppolo. Kyle Shanahan right behind him until the injury started. Um, then you got the connection to Mac Jones. Both were in the Mac Jones discussions heavily. I believe public pressure and public sentiment might have swayed the 49ers' opinion, but they were in the Mac Jones discussions heavily. You have both of them being linked to Trey Lance heavily. So Bill Belichick and Kyle Shanahan tend to move a lot together. In perfect honesty, they tend to move like a conglomerate often Um, Honestly, when it comes down to picking their players, they tend to make their moves very similarly. Uh, It's it's interesting how they both end up doing that, kind of coming together. Uh, Because Bill has a lot of respect for Mike Shanahan. Conversely, has a lot of respect for Kyle. Uh, They already went to war once in the Super Bowl with Belichick and Brady pulling off the greatest comeback of all time, 28-3. And so, kudos to everybody for getting their guy. Um, the Pats were linked to Mac Jones for a long time, and then when San Francisco was linked to Mac Jones, of course, that takes you takes the Pats out, and so they end up being you know linked to Trey Lance and Justin Fields. But ultimately, everybody got pretty much what they wanted to get. Chicago was looking for a playmaker; they got one in Justin Fields. Uh, New England was looking for the next Tom Brady, possibly. They they got a guy who's linked, who's connected to Tom Brady for a lot of reasons, and Mac Jones. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo's replacement is a bigger, more athletic guy in Trey Lance. And, of course, Wilson and Lawrence went one and two as expected. So everybody have who they were supposed to have in terms of the quarterbacks. Um, some other interesting draft situations that happened on last night. The drafting was a little all over the place, and that was expected. Um, because a lot of we were saying that this could be the most interesting draft in a while and the hardest to mock because there's no sheep think. Uh, what happens tends to happen with the NFL is that all the scouts are on the road together all the time. Uh, I worked the collegiate athletics for a little while, so I know that it wasn't one scout would make the trip to the campus. It would be three, four, or five. And whenever those three, four, or five came, it was the same three, four, or five that would come just with different units, just different team shirts on. And so, scouts usually travel together. What do they do when they go to a big pro day? They all hang out and talk together. What do they do when they go to the combine? They all hang out and talk together. What do they do when they go to school visits randomly during the year? Well, you're probably not the only person at Alabama for LSU Alabama week. You know, probably six, seven, other eight, nine, ten teams have sent a representative to the to the practice for this week and to the game. They, when they go to the games, they're all together. And so what happens is you start talking. It's natural. Hey, what what are your notes on this guy? What do you think on that guy? What is this on this guy? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what happens is through conversation, you may hear about a flaw you didn't have before. 
hear about a perk you didn't have before, take away a flaw because nobody else seen it but you, take away a perk because nobody else seen it but you. And a lot of times your scouting reports on a player ends up looking a lot like other scouting reports on the same player because of sheep think. You all are talking and talking about the same person and adjusting your reports is natural to what you may be hearing. If you maybe thought, man, I may have seen a little quicker feet than everybody else is seeing what's going on. Am I wrong on that? And then you go watch the tape and say, okay, maybe I was a little wrong and I take it away. So this year with the COVID and limited access to players, a lot of guys, we have opt-outs. What is that? We have guys who literally have not played in a very, very long time. Uh, we have guys who, like Micah Parsons, Jamar Chase, Panay Sewell, Rashawn Slater, all did not trade Lance, all did not play in earnest since the 2019 season. Trey Lance played one spring game against Central Arkansas. It wasn't great, but a lot of people said his goal was just to flash anything on tape, don't get hurt, he'll be fine. Which pretty much what he did. He he flashed the comeback on tape, had some rushing touchdowns, didn't get hurt. Number three overall pick in the draft. But with having the limited tape on a lot of guys, having the non-sheep sheep think of we're going to all travel together, eat together, talk about these prospects together, scoutings are all over the board. So, for instance, at quarterback, people may have had the order differently, which is why you got shockers in terms of picks. You look at corner. If it was sheep think, Patrick Sertain is probably the number one corner off the board, but instead it was J.C. Horn. You look at offensive linemen. You had, obviously, Penesul. You had Rashawn Slater. But after that, it was a crapshoot. You didn't know if it was going to be uh, Christian Derrishaw from Virginia Tech. You didn't know if it was going to be Eliza Berry Tucker from USC. You didn't know if it was going to be Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. You didn't know. And, and because it was so many all over the board, the receivers were everywhere. Uh, the running back at the top two were fine, even the top three, really. But then everything else was crazy. You're going to see names up and down th uh, today during the draft because, guys, the first round you pretty much have universally. There's a couple of names that jump up. For instance, Zayvon Collins going as high as he did to Arizona was a shocker. Alex Leatherwood going as high as he did to Vegas was a shocker. Um, other than that, people pretty much picked what you thought they were going to pick position-wise for the most part. And then from there, it was, you're going to see, or rather from here, you're going to see a difference uh, in opinion for a lot of guys. Um, because of just the, you, don't, you don't have the traditional sheep think where everybody's thinking the same thing by the time the draft rolls around because everybody's hearing the same reports all the time. Uh, we spoke about a few interesting draft picks. Uh, Michael Parsons to Dallas was a great pick. Alex Otherwood to Vegas was a head scratcher. He probably graded out very similarly to some guys you're going to see picked today. Second, third round offensive lineman who I think since he's going to grab a guy like Wyatt Davis, um, you know, is going to be a hot commodity for them. So it's interesting to see Alex Leatherwood go so early, but Vegas has to try and rebuild that line because they got rid of everybody on the line, so they're trying to rebuild it back. Baltimore finally has the number one receiver, Rashad Bateman, the big body receiver out of Minnesota with all the contested catches. And another situation when it comes down to the NFL draft uh, last night, there was a it was a reunion special. It, it was like a, one of you know it had those reality shows. Especially those competition shows. Even the reality shows like the Love and Hip Hops, but the competition shows like the Challenge, Real World, uh, Jersey Shore used to do them all the time. They have reunion specials where, because after you film the show, everybody leaves. So even if you have like a Love and Hip Hop reunion or you have a Jersey Shore reunion, even if you guys are talking, you guys have been off camera for three or four months, things may have changed. Situations you may have left on the show um, are now. You know, they've resolved or they're escalating or whatever. So people want an update. So they do reunion specials. Well, the NFL last night felt like a reunion special. Jamar Chase has not caught a pass from anybody not named Joe Burrow in a game since high school. That is going to continue as he was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals to go catch passes from Joe Burrow. Jalen Waddle made his name um, with Tua Tagovailoa. He's going to the Dolphins to continue to make his name with Tua Tagovailoa and when they were both at Bama. Devontae Smith and Jalen Hurts played at Bama together. And Devontae Smith 
even though he made his name originally with Tua due to the championship game catch, he caught a lot of big passes from Jalen Hurts during Hurts' year that they overlapped. Now he's going to Philly with Jalen Hurts. And then Jacksonville, first two picks was the backfield from Clemson. Trevor Lawrence went number one, Travis Etienne at number 23, I believe. And so Jacksonville reunited the running back quarterback combination with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, up next, we're going to stay in the NFL, but we're going to shift to a little bit of news in the league. So I'm going to break this segment up, give you guys a little bit of a break. This was a long-winded segment. And then we're going to stay in the NFL, just shift away from the draft, shift to news and updates. Welcome back in. And we're going to stay with the theme, stick with the NFL. I promise we'll get to basketball after this. But we're going to stick with this theme. And we're going to go to some NFL news. I thought this news was big enough to have its own segment, which I've never divided up sports before. So this is a humongous thing. Aaron Rodgers told the Packers, bleep you, I'm out. This was, I mean, it bombshell. I thought I thought another bombshell that came out. Well, not a bombshell, but I thought other news that came out was going to be like trying to steal the headline of the day. And all of 90 minutes to two hours before the draft, the Aaron Rodgers bombshell explodes on America. Uh, basically, it starts. I mean, it starts coming out from all kind of different sources, but it's just they, it came down to contractual negotiations. Now, this could still be a contractual negotiation. Uh, Aaron Rodgers watched Brett Favre do it, so this could still be a contractual um, negotiation, a contractual play to try and get a bigger, more money, more guaranteed. You know, more of what Rodgers originally wanted in the conversation. But from what I understood, uh, Rodgers and his representatives flew to Green Bay, flown to Green Bay a few days to try and negotiate a contract. It hasn't worked. Uh, the Packers were interested in a restructuring of the deal to free up a little money. And Rodgers was not for that because it offers him no protection. Yes, he'll be on the cap for a couple of years, even longer. But in terms of contractual obligation, Really, the Packers would eat a four or five million dollar cap hit for a couple of years of Rodgers not being on the team. It doesn't really hurt them. So Rodgers wasn't interested in the contract restructuring. And so it, it failed. And then reportedly he was promised that he would get traded in the offseason, which obviously did not come to fruition. Um, and then the contract negotiations continued back in when a trade was not done. The Packers offered to finally give Rodgers the extension, and he said, bleep you, I'm out. He refused the extension, and so now we're getting reports that, indeed, it is bleep you, I'm out. And Rodgers wants to be out of Green Bay. He has told the team that whether you trade me or you don't, I'm not coming back. Uh, Side note, breaking news, the Carolina Panthers have indeed picked up Sam Darnold's fifth-year option. Um, So that was a source of contention last night, whether they would do it. Um, I figured they would, especially how they dumped Teddy Bridgewater, that they are going to try and make Sam Darnold the guy in Carolina. Um, So that is the news for right now. Uh, Like I said, they're picking up Sam Darnold's fifth year option which will lock him in the team for two more seasons and gives him effectively 24 months to prove that he is worth um being an nfl starting quarterback which i believe he is i have i have film to tell me he's not i have plenty of film to tell me he's not however um we had that film on ryan Tannehill as well thanks to adam gase and then he got away from ryan Tannehill. And boom, Ryan Tannehill got paid almost immediately. <laughs> it is insane how fast that happened for Ryan Tannehill leaving Adam Gates. And so I believe that with young smart coaches and Joe Brady and Matt Rule, Sam Donald will have more success because he's more naturally gifted uh, of a player than Ryan Tannehill. But back to Aaron Rodgers. So 
Of course, the Jeopardy thing. Aaron Rodgers will not make $30 million a year hosting Jeopardy. He'll make 10. And like Rodgers said, I could film the whole thing in 46 days. So he can make 10 to $12 million in 46 days as opposed to making, I mean, 30, $20 million difference is a big difference. He can host Jeopardy for the rest of his natural born life and make $10 million a year, $12 million a year to work 46 days out of a calendar year and then live his life the rest of the year. Uh, that's not a bad gig. I think the Packers are in an interesting location because I'm not sure what contractually at this point Rodgers would be willing to take to say, okay, I'll sign on for the next three or four years. Or, you know, I'll sign on here for the next two or three seasons. You know, I mean, there's no, there is no guarantee uh, with Rodgers. Um, and what he'll do now, beyond now he's a wild card. There's an interesting, weird fact that no Green Bay Packer quarterback has played to his 17th season in Green Bay. Bart Starr played 16. Brett Favre played 16. Rodgers just finished his 16, his 16th. So he yeah, actually be on pace for the organization. Who did draft the quarterback in the first round last year in Jordan Love? Uh, traded up to get him actually in the first round with Jordan Love. So it may be time to see if that Jordan Love pick was worth it. He is in an interesting spot in terms of contractual obligations to the team. So in my opinion, if the Packers are going to trade him, you would have traded him last night because of the first round draft. So you could have pick, picked, you know, we're going to trade him to San Francisco. We're going to get back a third round pick. I mean, number three overall pick, which invariably probably would have been Trey Lance or Kyle Pitts. Um, Number three overall pick. We want another first, a couple of players. You know, you could have put a package together. Or you can you could have offered them to um another good team with another good team at the top. Maybe uh, not Chicago, then your division. Uh Washington's too low of a draft pick. But you could have made something work uh, last night, probably with the 49ers, who gave up a lot of their draft capital to come to three to Miami. Um, but you could have made something work with the 49ers, but now I think that ship has sailed. Or you could have involved the third team, similar to uh, Chicago. So maybe Chicago, or whoever picked 11 originally, I can't think of who it was right now. No, Chicago ended up making a pick at 11. But anyway, whoever made the pick at 11 could have gotten involved, sort of like a third team. So they incentivized you with a couple more assets. They ended up getting a player from San Francisco or something. Uh, so they turn around and get a player. They give you a couple more assets if you're Green Bay. Green Bay, you end up offloading Aaron Rodgers on the San Francisco. And everybody goes on happy. But instead, you've missed your window of opportunity. So now I don't know what you do. Whether you call Aaron's bluff and tell him go host Jeopardy. Or I don't know what you do at this point. I'm not, I've never been one to push Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he doesn't talk to family members because of stuff that they have done in the past. And have crossed bridges and burned bridges with him. He didn't talk to, I think, uh, I believe he didn't talk to his own mother uh, because of their issues. And so he won't talk to his mother. What hope does a football organization have? I'm going to start with zero and go from there. And so that is a problem if you are the Green Bay Packers. So that is a situation we are definitely going to watch. The other news that came out, not nearly as significant, was we could have Tebow time back. Tebow Mania could return. He requested and received, uh, or the request was granted rather, a workout with the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, to play tight end. Not quarterback, it is to play tight end. Um, this was a switch that, if you remember during the NFL draft, people were, they compared all of his measurables and all of his numbers to quarterbacks and tight ends. Before the draft, a lot of people suggested he go play H-back or tight end to you know, have a better chance of playing a long career. Uh, when his quarterback career was fizzling out, it was suggested by a couple of smart coaches, even with Belichick, hey, we could use you at an H-back tight end role if you want to stay in the league. He said, I don't want to play quarterback. Uh, of course, obviously, he goes to baseball, has a okay baseball career in the minors, made an all-star team the one year he was, he was healthy. And... He, you know, now his college coach, uh, Urban Meyer, is in Jacksonville. Where did Urban Meyer go get Tim Tebow from? 
Jacksonville. I believe Tim Tebow still lives in the Jacksonville area. Uh, that's his home. And so obviously he would, that would be a dream for him. Play for Urban Meyer again. Uh, also play with now Trevor Lawrence. He'd play in Jacksonville. So he'd be home. He wouldn't even have to move. It would be pretty ideal for Tebow to go to Jacksonville as a backup tight end. I'm not even sure who their starting tight end is. So he may start at tight end after being away from the game for a few years. Although athletically, he should still be in very good shape because he was just playing baseball up until a few months ago. So he should still be in good shape. Uh, I'm not sure how he would look on the field as a tight end. Obviously, we've never seen it. So that would be a very interesting switch for him. Uh, but he requested, like I said, and received the workout. Not many reports about how it went. I mean, we didn't even hear about the workout happening until after it occurred. So that is interesting that he decided to do that at this point in his life. I thought he was done athletically. You know, he retired from baseball saying that basically he, he couldn't do it anymore. Um, he left football scoring, a scoring man after being replaced and invariably not given really another opportunity to be a successful starting NFL quarterback in Denver because uh, Peyton Manning arrived, which can't really blame Denver on that one. And so now he's looking at playing tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'm sure Urban Meyer will design some direct quarterback snaps or some sort of direct snaps to Tebow because he's got Tebow. He knows what Tebow can do. And so I'm sure that that would be, that would be in the playbook as well. And again, the breaking news into the show uh, just a few minutes ago was the Carolina Panthers will pick up Sam Darnold's fifth-year option. They considered going with Justin Fields at eight last night, decided against it, picked J.C. Horn, and they picked up Sam Darnold's fifth-year option. And now we're going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down in the association. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to shift to the other sport that's happening right now, one of the other sports, I should say, the NBA, and talk about what's going down in the association. As always, let's start off with taking a look at the standings. We've got in the East, Nets, Sixers, Bucks, Knicks, Hawks, Celtics, Heat, Hornets, Pacers, Wizards. And out west, we have Utah, Phoenix, Clippers, Nuggets, Lakers, Mavs, Blazers, Memphis, Spurs, Warriors. Now, there have been four seeds that have been clinched with the Nets and the Sixers in the east. They are in the playoffs. So this year, the clinching the playoffs is a little different because they probably would have clinched a couple games ago. But with a play-in tournament, technically you're not in the playoffs until you make it through the play-in tournament if you have to go through it. And so they had to wait. So now those teams can go no lower than six in their respective conferences based on math. And so they will, they're in the playoffs regardless. They would not be in the play-in tournament. They are in. And like I said, Nets and Sixers in the East and Utah and Phoenix out West. They're one of the hottest teams in the NBA right now, the Washington Wizards. They won like eight straight or something like that. And then they lost the game. And then now they didn't again last night. The Wizards are rolling right now. They are flying up to be, uh, be try to be. In, I mean, they're in the plan currently right now. And they're separated from Chicago because Chicago has Zach Levine, who's still out uh, with health and safety protocols. And it is crushing the Bulls this season. The Wizards are firmly right now in 10th and trying to climb their way higher, even to get higher into the playoffs. Uh, the Nuggets are rolling now, minus Jamal Murray. Michael Porter Jr. is stepping up. He's become an elite-level scorer. He is playing well. The Nuggets are holding down the four seed. The Lakers are still holding down the five seed. Anthony Davis is back, but doesn't look like himself. And LeBron is in route very soon. But a team I have my eye on that's currently not in the play-in tournament that I think could make noise if they get there is the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, as I stated earlier, I am a Pelican fan. So it takes with a grain of salt if you think I'm just being a homer or I'm just being, you know, a fan or whatever. 
I am a Pelicans fan, so I believe, and I, and even if I wasn't a Pelicans fan, I would believe this wholeheartedly. I probably just have a better opinion of this due to the fact of I have the, um, I have the wherewithal. I watch pretty much every juggle. Like I said last night, I didn't watch any of it. Because it was the same time as the draft and they playing OKC. So I figured we'd win, which they did. Good job, Pelicans. Um, so I didn't watch. That was that was only the second game all year. I didn't watch pretty much from start to finish. So that's why I say I have much more of a grasp on this team. But just looking at them in general, the Pelicans have a very explosive offense. A really, really explosive offense. Uh to the point where 120 isn't uncommon. Uh, if you look at a team like the Lakers, Lakers score 120, you're looking like how in the world they got to 120. The Pelicans score less than 110, it's a bad night. And so the Pelicans with their really explosive offense could cause someone problems in a play-in style situation. Uh, the Pelicans' issues are obviously on the defensive end. Uh, they played the Nets in New Orleans. Uh, they scored 127, I believe, and lost by eight or nine uh, to the Nets. They have done that before as well. They had the Knicks beat, basically, and blew a mental assignment. Uh, they've had six-point leads with 12 seconds left and lost in regulation. The Pelicans have somehow managed to pull defeat from the jaws of victory several times this year. If they had won three or four more games they should have won out of the 10 or 12 they should have won, you're looking at a situation where they may already be 10th, and then they're just looking to get their way higher into the play-in, maybe the 7 or 8. They're trying to get the 7 seed. But they didn't do that. Uh, young team, best player on the roster is Zion at 20. Second best player is Brandon Ingram, 23. Third best player is Lonzo Ball. He's 22, 23. Uh, so that's when you become a lot of issues with consistency. But the Pelicans are in range. And I was looking at the Pelicans and Warriors. I was thinking the Warriors, just looking at teams like, man, if anybody could climb up, who would they come get? And I'm thinking it's Golden State. Uh, and the Pelicans are in the prime position to come get them. They are basically three games back from the Warriors, and they play them three times and then over the last eight games. They play them back-to-back in New Orleans, Monday and Tuesday, and then they play them again uh, to right in a few days, like right after that. So they play them three times in eight games. Pelicans sweep them, the Warriors are dead, and basically in the water, because they would have to play better in the other five games, or they play them three times in the last 13 or 11 games, something like that. But they play them three times the rest of the season, and sweeping them would be huge um, for the Pelicans, which is very possible, um, tremendously possible. We've seen Golden State get absolutely blown off the floor recently by Dallas. Dallas is not a great defensive team, and Golden State couldn't do anything. So if New Orleans can play competent defense, they're going to score basically at will, and they have a very good chance of sweeping the Warriors and climbing themselves into the 10th spot to get in the playing tournament, which would be humongous for A, the city of New Orleans, B, the franchise, and C, for a young team to believe in itself. And so I think the Pelicans are, in, are within range as far as can make the playing tournament. Uh, same Similar with Chicago out east, due to Zach Levine being out, once Levine comes back, I believe Chicago is in range as well to come out of the East if necessary to get into the playing tournament. Um, rather than not if necessary, but if possible, they are within range with Zach Levine and Vucevic. Obviously, there they are within range. Um, Steph Curry is going. Steph and Dame, the two best shooters from the point guard position in the NBA, or scores rather, point guard position in the NBA, are both struggling. Dame's been struggling. Pretty much his all-star break, he'll come out of it every once in a while and have a big game. But he, pretty much as the trade of Gary Trent, has not had a great stretch of basketball. And so that is affecting the Blazers. Uh, even though they're currently the eighth seed, or seventh seed rather, they would play in a play-in tournament against, if the season ended right now against Memphis, I would expect them to win and be the seventh seed. So it wouldn't be a huge situation. Um, but... That team was too talented to be in the playing tournament. And so I think that Portland needs to figure out what's going on with Dame. Get him on the right track. Uh, he played a couple of good games rather recently. But continue that, that high streak, continue him on the right track. Conversely with Curry, 
he seems to be starting to cool off from his ridiculous month of April. Uh, most most threes made in a month with 85, breaking James Harden record of 83 with a few days left. In perfect honesty, and he has a chance to push out that record over the next couple of games, I believe. And what's going on with Curry is that the pressure of the team is on him now. Uh, the MVP chance have started back. The MVP campaigning has started back. And ever since he said himself, well, I think I'm the MVP, but I won't get it, he's continuing to play himself out of the MVP race. And so he's playing, well, he's playing himself out of Jokic's MVP race because the MVP should be Nikola Jokic. It should be no debate by anybody else because Jokic is by far, in my opinion, the MVP, followed by Embiid uh, right behind him. But Jokic has to be rewarded for leading his team in every statistical category besides blocks. He needs to be rewarded for playing every game, um, not low managing and not going through injuries and stuff like that. He needs to be rewarded for his efforts. And I believe Jokic should be the MVP. Now, the Knicks and the Nets. This was the rivalry that the NBA basically envisioned when the Knicks and the Nets, when the Nets signed Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they envisioned a world where the Knicks land Zion Williamson and somebody else, and the Knicks and the Nets are the talk of the NBA, and New York basketball is back. Well, the Knicks did not get Zion Williamson. They got RJ Barrett, good player, and then they got Julius Randle, who's an all-star. Uh, she should be top five MVP discussion this year. And the Nets are the number one seed and the Knicks are the four seed. And that means in a potential second round matchup, it could be all New York second round matchup uh, with Knicks and Nets, which would be huge for TV ratings. The Knicks would be in the playoffs, which would already be a massive upgrade for the NBA ratings wise. Uh, the Mecca will host a playoff game for the first time in years. And so that is a rivalry that the NBA would love to happen. A Knicks and Nets seven game knockdown drag out series will be huge for TV ratings uh, for multiple reasons. It would be, oh my God, um, the Nets are vulnerable. It would be the Knicks are amazing. Tom Thibodeau is kicking Steve Nash's butt from the bench. I mean, there is all kinds of potential storylines there. Now, up next, we will shift to the MLB for a quick second and take a peek at the standings and what's going down there. Welcome back into the show. And now we're going to talk about baseball for a really quick second. So, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of MLB here. Um, I'm a baseball, I'm not really a baseball guy, in all honesty. I'm not a huge baseball supporter. Well, I mean, not well, I love baseball, I love the MLB. In terms of where I, I watch, I don't really watch a regular season baseball. It's not even really super enjoyable for me. Now, I do enjoy going to a game. I love going to Houston Astros games at Minute Maid Park. Pretty much don't care who they're playing. Um, I thoroughly enjoy uh, baseball games. They're always fun for me. They're always enjoyable. Uh, one of the best experiences I've ever had have been at baseball games. I actually feel like a regular season intense baseball game is a better experience than a regular season intense basketball game. Now, nothing will beat a football game. Uh, they are the creme de la creme in terms of uh, experiences, a regular season uh, football game, uh, preseason football game, football game in general are the creme de la creme of experiences, but a regular season baseball game has got to be second in terms of regular season atmospheres. I haven't been to a playoff game yet. I definitely want to, but um, like I said, in terms of regular seasons, I would put a, base, a good baseball game second. And so I know we're going to talk a lot of baseball here, but um, I got a little feedback on people and didn't mind the baseball talk, you know, just to keep an update on what's going on in the league. Uh, let's take a peek at it. If the playoffs ended today, style standings, uh, the Royals won a in the American League. It would be Kansas City Royals won, Oakland A's two, Boston Red Sox three, Chicago White Sox four, the Seattle Mariners five, Tampa Bay Rays six, and in the National League, it would be the San Francisco Giants one, the Brewers two, 
the Philadelphia Phillies three, the Los Angeles Dodgers four, the San Diego Padres five, and the St. Louis Cardinals six. Um, a couple of notes on the standings. Obviously, we see no Yankees. They're still struggling. Not as bad as they were, but they are still struggling to get their life together. Uh, St. Louis always is around. St. Louis is one of those teams, man, where it's like, that's a hell of an organization. Whoever running them from the top ownership down, they have a great organization, a great farm system, and they lose stars, they gain stars. They are always at the top. They're always near, right around playoff contention. They're not necessarily a championship organization every year, but they're always a team where you're like, hey, if the Cardinals took a playoff, if the Cardinals took a wild card spot, it wouldn't shock me. Um, and that's where they're at this season, where they could take a wild card spot. And it wouldn't be shocking because it's the St. Louis Cardinals. And they are, a, like I said, a hell of an organization. They do this often. But... The reason I brought up baseball today, and it's probably how I'll do it uh, with baseball until it gets to the playoffs, is when a story comes out, something that interests me in the sport specifically. And baseball has a new star. It's Fernando Tatis Jr. He should honestly be promoted as the face of the league. Now, he is the one on SportsCenter. He is the cover athlete for the baseball game. Uh, MLB The Show 21 is the cover athlete for Nando Tatis Jr. He is a special player and he is going to change the way baseball is looked at. Now, he's 21 years old or something like that. He's very young. He has not even reached arbitration yet. He, he never will. He's already signed that massive contract. Um, so he'll never see arbitration. And he's going to change the way the game is played because he's bat flipping. He's mocking people while running the base. He goes caught slick stealing signs where he was had his, had his head down and kind of angled back a little bit to look at the sign and see if he could figure out what was happening with the pitcher. I mean, he is going to do any and everything uh, he can to change the game. He's already said that his goal is is to change how the sport is played. Uh, change how the um, change the perception of baseball. Make baseball fun again. Uh, to really get some of the unwritten rules thrown out and some of the old traditions tossed to the side and canned because they're old, they're clunky, they're funky. They just, they bother people. Uh, and he just participated in arguably the best series of the year between the Dodgers and the Padres. It was thought that if people could get that 162 times a year, that they would. It even exposed a weakness in the Mighty Dodgers, which was their bullpen looks a little leaky. They blew a couple of leads in that series. I believe four out of the very few losses they've had this season have come off blown leads, uh, where they've had pretty decent leads. And the bullpen has leaked oil all over the place and given up the runs um, to the opposing team and put them in a bad spot. So that is something that they definitely need to watch out for. A, leaking, a leaky bullpen cannot win a World Series. So the Dodgers have definitely rectify the situation. But it is show that the, uh, that the Padres are a good team. Uh, when Manny Machado went there, I was like, that's interesting. And then Fernando Tatis is there. Now they've got other good players with the Padres who really haven't been good since the days of Jake Peavy. Um, really thought about them anywhere near the top. They were usually at the bottom. Uh, and so kudos to the Padres for fighting their way back, for figuring out how they're going to get their life together. Like I said, they signed Manny Machado. They signed Fernando Tatis Jr. to his big contract extension. And now they're reaping the benefits of it. And so, good job to the Padres. Like I said, you got other teams like the Yankees flat out flailing. You have the St. Louis Cardinals, who are always in contention, always around. The San Francisco Giants, another one of those teams that always seems to be around, that always seems to be at the top. I mean, remember, they had that stretch where they won every other year for like six or seven years, something like that. It was like they won four championships every other year, uh, including the Bumgarner uh, World Series. And the Giants are always seem to be at the top. The Oakland A's, I think I spoke about them before, how they are now near the top and they could have or should have had Kyler Murray um, as well, but he chose football over baseball, which I think was a smart decision for him. 
the Red Sox were not down long. They were supposed to be rebuilding and retooling. They're the third seed. The team like the Yankees, who had World Series hopes, are last in the division, or basically last in the division. So, I mean, it, all the preseason hoopla is dying down. It is now all about the games, and we are seeing what's happening on the field. But now, we're going to shift to best for last, which is going to be a discussion about women's basketball coaching legend, Kim Mulkey. Welcome back into the show and right on in to the last best for last in the month of April, which will be about new LSU women's basketball coach Kim Mulkey as she has left Baylor after 20 years in Waco uh, to come home. She is from Louisiana. She's from Tickfall, actually, uh, not too far outside of Hammond, uh, where she went to high school, she went to Hammond High. Uh, play her college ball, Louisiana Tech. Back when LA Tech was a very good women's program, very, very good women's program, nationally good women's program, LA Tech, uh, before ended up at Baylor as a head coach at a very young age after getting an assistant job at Hoenaho Coaches, et cetera, through her story. Um, but she has decided to, like I said, come home. Her son, Kramer, pitched at LSU, which she was always in the boundaries area. Because of that, she would come on weekends when they didn't have games for Baylor. She would come down and watch him pitch. Um, she, like she said in a press conference, she grew up, she said, you're from Louisiana, you know sports. So she grew up on the LSU sporting scene. So she said she was naming some of the athletes she remembered uh, from LSU. But this is huge for college basketball because it has shifted one power out of the mix in Baylor. It probably doesn't matter who you bring back at Baylor. Baylor will never be the same. And we can just look at it. Just look at the programs that have lost legendary coaches. Tennessee has never recovered from Pat Summit. Um, you look at other top programs. I worry about UNC trying to replace Roy Williams. I mean, they got lucky replacing Dean Smith or Roy Williams after going through a couple of rough patches. Um, but I worry about UNC men's ball with Roy Williams. Baylor is out of the mix now. They're gone. Uh, you look at, like I said, Tennessee is a big example of Pat Summit. They still have not recovered from that. LSU has not recovered since the loss of Pokey Chapman. Uh, you just look at these college programs. The coach has so much control and so much influence and so much everything, especially when you've been there. Like Kim Mulkey, 20 years. Pat Summit for 30 years. Um, Rutgers had a good program. When their coach left, they have never recovered. Um, but conversely, new programs pop up. The South Carolina of the world. Uh, Stanford's revitalizing itself. Uh, you have a other, couple other good programs that have now popped up to challenge at the national level. Notre Dame is still hanging on to challenge at the, at the national level. But Arizona is a good now popping up too as well. But when you look at Kim Mulkey, she, like I said, she's already in the Basketball Hall of Fame. She goes in this year, actually, uh, as a Hall of Famer, which she definitely deserves. She brings with her to LSU three national championships, countless NCAA tournament appearances, a very outspoken, unfiltered brain uh, and mouth. Even at the press conference, she was asking, uh, she asked the crowd, straight up, they had fans of the crowd, and she asked, how many of you guys have your season, put your deposit down for your season tickets? About half the crowd put their hand up, like, yeah, I have my season books. And then she's like, okay, well, like a good politician will put you on the spot. How many of you don't have your season tickets? And the other, and a few other hands went up. Not as nearly as many as went up. Um, there are some people that didn't do anything, of course, as usual. And she said, "Well, well, what's stopping you? Why haven't you?" You know, she said, "I was told 600 were bought just today um, with their season books to go to the LSU girls program." And that is something again that's huge. LSU girls at one point were so bad they were giving tickets away, trying to get you to go to the game. Please go to the game. And now. You know, 600 season tickets bought, I'm sure, were new sub buyers. Um, the crowd that raised their hand was about 1,500 to 2,000, in my opinion, um, which is nowhere near filling up the arena. However, that was huge just to see that the crowd was engaged, that the crowd was um, happy to see Kim Mulkey, and that's what she does for programs. She revitalized Zizze program. Uh, Baylor's done. On the national scene, I think for a long time, LSU will be on the rise in a couple of years. Um, she receives 
a two, eight year, $22.5 million contract. So it averages about $2.8 million over the life of it. Um, and so she will be at LSU probably through her retirement date, barring something catastrophic where the program is just terrible and there's all kind of other issues going on as well, which I don't see happening. Uh, but other than that, she will be at LSU through her retirement date, whenever that may be. But she brings loud, passionate energy wherever she goes. She's a hell of a basketball coach. Like I said, she's got three national titles through the era of Pat Summit, through the era of Gina Oriyama, through the era now of Don Staley, through the era of um, Notre Dame being good, Stanford being great. You know, she, she managed three national titles at Baylor and, uh, at a program that was horrible both coaches men and women that were at baylor get coached their last season took over terrible programs and baylor got their payoff men wise uh this past NCAA tournament and as baylor's women got their payoff with the Brittany grinders and the odyssey sims and the dds and the others that have come through the program um they got their payoff with kim mulkey being there during that time period but that is all we have for today. Uh, I'm very excited for the rest of the NFL draft. Definitely tune in. Make sure that you are absolutely fully aware of what's happening on the draft. Uh, your team is very excited. Like the Baltimore Ravens, I'm sure they're over the moon and through the earth for Rashad Bateman. So keep definitely keep your eye on the rest of the NFL draft. Like I said, we're winding down the NBA regular season. We're almost in the playoffs. So it is a lot of interesting stuff happening in the world of sports. As always, don't forget to follow the Twitter page and now Instagram at JTime Sports for breaking news and status updates along with show postings. And do not forget to subscribe, tell your friends, and rate us on iTunes and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.